Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. Welcome to the beautiful Stanley Law Group Studios, high atop the Stanley Law Group Law Firm Building, right in downtown, beautiful city of Richmond, capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia. I'm Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. I'm former NASCAR driver, Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left, episode three. Episode three. We made it to three. Earnhardt. They have not fired us yet. Put it up. Not yet. Earnhardt, three. Today is one I'm looking forward to. Senator Stanley, you and I both over the last couple of weeks have had the opportunity to get to know football legend LeVar Arrington. And come to find out, he's got a few more things in common with us than I thought. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. In fact, he gave me his digits, and I've only stalked him <laughs> by text about 50 times. So I think he hasn't unfriended me yet or whatever, you know, blocked me. Don't yet, push so it because I think he potentially might do that. Oh, he's bigger than me, too. So because, did you know, LeVar, first of all, welcome. Thank you. To Thank Leaning you. Right. Yes. Turning left, we got a lot to talk about today, including all of our initiatives to support small businesses. Indeed, across not only the Commonwealth of Virginia but nationwide football career. I, I'm going to test your NASCAR knowledge okay. or lack thereof. Okay, let's all do that. both of those. <laughs> um, but you know, we've uh, also we got to go back and revisit. Our, a couple of weeks ago, we had the honor of being introduced by Senator Stanley. That's right. On the Senate floor here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. You guys made me famous. I mean, everybody oh, wow. talks about it to this day. They want you back. Uh, let's Actually, go back. Uh, there's a Washington Post reporter. Um, she can't ask you directly for an autograph, but I'm okay. going to have to come back with one. So if that's okay with let's you. Let's do it. That way I get some good press finally in the Washington okay. Post. I know you're used to getting good press in the Washington I Post. I used to work for the Washington Post. Yeah, they hate me. Yeah, I, I used to write for them. They hate me. Well, I would have did a little <laughs> bang-up piece on, on, on you if, if I was still there, but... I'm not there anymore. Can you get your job back? I don't want it back. <laughs> Why I is that? In, because I live in California now. So oh. it's, it's a, I would have to live in D.C., I would assume, to work for the Post. Well, you know, you can do digital writing now. And, and one thing, true. speaking of that, I want to I dive deep into your guys' careers in sports broadcasting. You guys were professional athletes, successful at your sport, well-known for what you did, and then you transitioned into, quite frankly, sportscasting, which in its own right has its own fame, notoriety, and even you, you reach more people on a, on a daily or weekly basis. So I do want to ask both of you those questions, since I'm not a sportscaster, never have been, always wanted to be a sportscaster well, and an athlete. You're, you're doing both. it right now. You're hosting right now. And you're doing, and you're a, doing a fine, fine job. job. You're doing a fine job, I mean, by the way. Yeah. So if this Senate thing doesn't work out for you, <laughs> and if right. you keep hanging out with me, it probably won't, Yes, <laughs> then you'll have something to fall back on. Well, you know what? I'm looking forward to my future every day now. Because usually I come here to Richmond, it's just like, what's going to happen today? What's happening next? In fact, they're doing points of personal privilege right now on the Senate floor, going back and forth. It's been getting a little chippy between the Democrats and Republicans since day one. Obviously, the Democrats were used to having power in the Senate, the House, the governor's mansion, the lieutenant governor, even the attorney general. Now they've only got the Senate at 2119 majority for the Democrats. They call that the brick wall caucus, where they're going to slow down or stop anything that we try to do. But at the same time, all we seem to do is argue, which we usually don't do in the in the Virginia State Senate. We usually try to find a way to reach common ground. We may differ 
on the way to get there. Mm-hmm. But we usually have the same goals. It's not that way anymore in Virginia. I hope it returns that way. We'll see what happens in the next couple of years. And that's his leaning right moment Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> of the day. Brought to you All by right. the Stanley Law Group, How high atop the Stanley Law Group building. Okay, so uh-huh. let's set the table a little bit. Uh, LaVar, we were kind of brought together uh, by – uh, by Pacematic. Correct. Uh, we all, uh, you've learned a little bit, I'm sure, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we filed a lawsuit, Senator Stanley and I, against uh, the outgoing governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Ralph Northam, Attorney General Mark Herring. A lot of people get kind of put their spin on it, get confused about really what our lawsuit is about. Ultimately, the issue is skill games, but the big thing we're fighting against is government overreach into small business. Mm-hmm. A government coming in and saying you can't operate your business like that because now this person has a license to do it and you don't. And through that process, Bill and I through the our relationship with Pacematic launched this podcast to kind of give us a vehicle to weekly be able to update people that listen to these shows about the status of our lawsuit as Bill just did, what's going on in the General Assembly of Virginia, and then meeting people like you that are out in the field trying to also get people to understand the importance of companies like Pacematic Mm -hmm. and the revenue they produce and provide for a lot of small business owners and operators all across Virginia, but especially in rural areas like Bill and I are from, Emporia and southwest Virginia. And you bring a whole different spin to it, a whole different element to it, and we appreciate you on behalf of Bill and I appreciate you bringing um, your name recognition and things you accomplished and using that goodwill to help us with this cause. It's always been, and first and foremost, very humbled to be here, first and foremost. Um, secondly, uh, it's absolutely an honor to, to be a part of what Pacematic is, is building and what, it's, what they're doing and attempting to do, what you guys are doing and working to do. For me, one thing that I, I learned very early in life is community is everything. If you don't build a good, strong foundation within your community, then you become a person that's on an island, so to speak, and nobody can exist as an island. And so I learned very quickly once once I began playing ball and, and getting recognition for it, it was always a vehicle for me to be able to do good. If if I couldn't accomplish and use my accomplishments to represent something good, represent good people, represent good things, good acts, uh, then I was probably not maximizing what what I was doing. And and so for me, it's always been something I've been a part of. And when I, I was made aware of and educated on how small businesses were being impacted by the machines being legally taken out of, of the shops and, and the restaurants and, and the different places where they were at, I, I very quickly understood that this was there was something that didn't fit. And and I wanted to know more about it. And then as I learned more about it, got an opportunity to talk to operators, managers, uh, owners, and, and just everybody that's within the ecosystem of small businesses. You start to realize very quickly that 
this is a way for small businesses to stay afloat. And I, I am a small business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I had a restaurant at one point in time. And to understand the, the pressures of what goes into being able to maintain a, a small business and, and then for it to be complicated even further, uh, I, I felt as though this was right for me to, to be involved because I do so many things that service our community. And this certainly was a synergy and aligned very, very nicely with what I already do within the community. And you seem like the kind of guy, and I won't be able to jump in here too, if it wasn't a cause that meant a lot to you, whether they paid you or not, it wouldn't uh, matter. Yeah. You, you can't pay, they can't pay you it's not to enough. advocate for something That's correct. that you don't believe in. As I could tell that from the first time I met you here in Richmond a couple of weeks ago. And, and, Bill, we've been working on this fight, and it continues. It started in June. On a very hot day, we filed a lawsuit against the state. Uh, everybody th- said we couldn't win, and we uh, meticulously worked through it, and we won. And ultimately, Hermes stand was one of principle standing up for those other small businesses more importantly i think what you understood was during the pandemic we had two things going on one you had a pandemic where most people were staying home it was driving down businesses to small business and, and their income and so these uh, convenience stores sometimes you call them c stores truck stops restaurants bars really depended on this income in order to keep their doors open. But not only that, what the Commonwealth of Virginia seems to do is dictate too much and regulate too much the small business, which is the backbone of our economy. So at the same time, we were raising the minimum wage. Now, should the minimum wage have been, uh, wage have been risen, uh, uh, had been increased? Yes. But you've got to then offer new sources of revenue, especially in an emerging industry like the gaming industry that was coming in here in Virginia, And by leaving out, intentionally leaving out and picking winners and losers, and that is to say, you small business owner in Virginia can't participate in this new industry because we're letting all of these out-of-state corporations do it, that's where it's unfair. I'm not a fan of gambling, but really what, what upset me the most was that the very core of what is right and good in the fabric of Virginia couldn't participate in this new industry. It'd be the same as we've, we've also legalized marijuana. Mm-hmm. We seem to want to take that revenue, but what if they said, you know what, you can't grow marijuana in Virginia, you got to grow it out of the state and bring it in. Well, then that cuts off our farmers. I may not agree with the legalization of marijuana, but quite frankly, if you're going to do it, rip the Band-Aid off, let everybody participate. It'll all work out because that's what free market systems do. Mm-hmm. You know, if I want to go play a skill game or my cousin wants to go play a, a slot machine, well, then we have the opportunity of playing either. Maybe they're at the same spot. Maybe they're not. But when you say no skill games and no to small business, you're really, that's un-American, and it's not the Virginia way that we do things. You know, you talk about small business, all the businesses that I'm responsible for, convenience stores, truck stops, restaurants, UPS store, all things in between. All of our businesses, LaVar, run on percentages. Mm -hmm. So we've learned through the course of time, through some trial and a lot of error, that your payroll figures, for instance, can only be a certain percentage of what your gross sales Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Okay. So we know in a convenience store, I've got a number that if my payroll number gets above that percentage amount of my sales, then I'm in trouble. Then you compile that with the fact during the pandemic, our cost of goods is doubled, tripled in some respects. And you got cost of labor and you got insurance. I just had a 17% increase in. In, uh, in health Which is insurance. a lot. It's a lot. That's high. So mm-hmm. then on top of all that, they come tell us, 
we're just going to take this portion of your revenue, even though we've operated these games legally at our truck stop, as we've discussed many times since the mid-1980s, they're going to take this revenue and just give it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I, I went to advocate, and that's one thing I've told Bill through this process. And he's in a little bit of an uh, awkward position, but for me, a good position of being a legislator and an attorney because I, I said, Bill, if you can just get me in front of some of these people and make sure they understand that what they're how how what they are doing in some of the legislation they pass how it affects normal everyday working people i'm responsible for 250 employees every two weeks got to make a payroll mm -hmm. so when they throw all this stuff and take something from us only to give it to somebody else mm -hmm. it's been a hard pill to swallow and so that's that's why it's important for us to have all these voices LeVar, including yours, taking that message home. And look, LeVar, when he says I'm in an awkward position, what he means is I'm going to have to talk my way into heaven because I'm a politician and a lawyer. Sure. So they're going to be like, hit the you down, got no shot. Hit the down escalator no on shot. this cat. I'm right. like, wait a minute. No, no. I got skill games back in small businesses. And maybe that's going to put me in heaven. So that's one of the ways I'm going to work my way back in. Well, one thing that I, I'll say in learning so much about the games, the skill games and the skill game industry, uh, <laughs> I immediately, upon the understanding of it, basically said, well, what's the difference between a Dave & Buster's or a Chuck E. Cheese? If you really think about it, because when I played a game, when I played, this is my understanding of it, when I played a game growing up, you were rewarded by completing a, a stage of the game. Your ultimate goal was I wanted to win the game. So you would try to invest as many quarters as you possibly could mm -hmm. into the game to win the game. Now, if you were playing a game that provided you tickets and there was actually an ultimate end to you competing on the game, you were encouraged and you were incentivized to learn how to play the game better. Right. It wasn't being left up to chance. You were actually, through repetition, getting better at it i've had the opportunity to go to many taverns around virginia from the tidewater area and norfolk area being here in richmond we're going into northern virginia and the experiences that i've had were educational it wasn't us sitting there crossing our fingers oh i hope you hit oh i i hope you hit a you know a jackpot it's like no here's how you play the game mm-hmm and it's being explained. It's 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 like a it's a conversation of how to to approach it, the ins and outs of of the thought process that goes into playing the game. That in itself was eye opening for me, because again, you can very easily, as a former athlete and as a a coach, I coach at this point in my life at this juncture, I don't leave what I do up to chance. It has to be mapped out in a way where I am preparing and putting our coaches and our, our players in a position to have success. So when I look at something that says gamble, it's a gamble, it's gambling, it's chance, then that means that there is no growth in terms of what you can do to alter your your outcomes, mm -hmm. right? So to me, if you have something of that caliber that does not say not one bit does it say you are gambling. This is chance. Boom, you hit it. The technology figures out 
if it wants you to win or not plays the percentages the way it does. That's not what this is. So if you are creating another revenue stream and a significant one at that in the conversations that I've had with the owners and, and the managers, it doesn't make sense to try to over overregulate it. It doesn't make sense to try to shut that down mm-hmm. if something that is as simple as, well, what if it was a Pac-Man game? Are you upset that there's quarters going in? So what is the fact that they can actually win that bothers you? What is it that it actually bothers? What is it that it actually infringes upon in your heart and in your mind? And if I couldn't get my mind wrapped around what that was and say, okay, that's valid, that makes sense, then for me, I had to be a voice for those who don't have a loud enough voice for for them to be able to stress how much of an impact them not having the ability to utilize these machines in their stores. You want to hear the – I know you've heard a lot of hypocritical things in your life, as we sure, all have. I mean, sure. Okay, as soon as – even before this bill was passed to ban these skill games out of our locations, the casino people had already contacted me and said, if we get these skill games out of your office – on Monday, we'll replace by them. Tuesday, we can put VGTs for mm-hmm. video gaming terminals in your store. And guess what? All of a sudden, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because really what the casinos want, they don't care if we've got games in our stores and restaurants and truck stops. They just want to be able to regulate them and profit off of them. Correct. Monopoly. It's Correct. a monopoly. They want a monopoly yes. on the games. And so I'm glad you recognize Because most people, and I told Bill this, you'd be surprised. I'm not going to call names. You'd be surprised at how many people right over in that capital really have no idea how these games work. Right. They have no idea. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced, probably going to get in trouble for saying this too, I'm convinced that the Attorney General's office that came and argued this case against Bill in the court, they didn't even know how the games work. Right. Yeah. No, I and, think that's fair. You know, and so you have to have a real, you know, when I go to Vegas or Atlantic City and I go to the, blazing seven machine and i put a quarter in and i kind of like i play golf hit it and hope there you go okay even though golf is supposed to be a game of skill <laughs> I, to me it's a game of chance but you, you go to play a slot machine in vegas you put the money in you pull the lever hit the button and you you're at the mercy of the machine but these games whether they be video skill games that you interact with the game and have a chance to advance further or whether it's a claw game or whether it's a coin pusher or whether it's Galaga or Pac-Man or whatever, and the Galaga is an amazing game, by the way. It is. It is. I enjoy but Galaga. Classic. I think Bill. I think. I think the state has found itself in a little bit of a pickle of trying to make their point on what they believe what games should be banned and why. Well, and and I think it really comes down to this. They, you know, the casinos and the the Rosies, which is basically like a mini casino in smaller rural areas. They got the lobbyists, and they pay those lobbyists a lot of money to come and go to fundraisers for senators and House of Delegate members to go into your uh, room and say, you know, this is the way you do it. This is going to help your economy. We can do it this way. We can do it that way. In skill, you're talking about small business people that are working 14 hours a day, don't have time to really come down here mm-hmm. and lobbyist. But to me, a small business owner is the most effective lobbyist if they have a voice. And if you're that voice, voice. Lamar, That's And right. you're that voice, Hermie. And Hermie was willing to stake his reputation he and I got together, and, and we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, 
And I said, you know, and, and, and I was giving him uh, crap because I was, you know, against gambling. Uh, and then he sat down and kind of told me what was going on. And I said, well, that just doesn't seem fair. So when they passed the bill, the bill itself was banning skill games, which would, in effect, if you really read it the right way, which nobody has, it bans Chuck E. Cheese, Dave and Buster's. Yes. It bans the state fair. The King's Dominion. Yes. Everything. Anything. No more right. ring toss, no more skee ball. Right. Nothing. Uh, they carved out this family exception that if you, if Hermie advertised to families with children, not families without children, not families with one child, families with children, then he would be given an exemption and he could have skill games. It was a horribly written bill. So it was unconstitutional just on that because it was conforming his speech. The mm-hmm. government was saying, if you speak the way we approve of, then you can do B. Mm-hmm. If you don't, then you can't do A. And so we fought it on those grounds, but also, too, that these games have an expressive content. You mentioned it. A video slot machine, not only are the, are the odds manipulated from some little guy, keyboard cowboy out there maybe two states away, mm-hmm. but more importantly, uh, a game of skill, just like skee-ball, just like ring toss, or these video games of skill, you have a 100% chance of winning. Mm-hmm. That makes it different. Because it's all in the talent of the player that gives you the reward. We also think because it expresses certain ideas in its expressiveness that it is protected under. If you remember, LeVar, there was a Supreme Court case that was saying, you know, the, 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 the battle games, the blood and gore video games, uh, California was banning. Mm-hmm. Like and the it, Mortal Kombats and stuff. Right. Because it was, it was promoting kids were actually doing it right. in real life. And so yes. they were trying to ban that sure. from kids. And the Supreme Court said, sorry. That's protected free speech because mm-hmm. it's expressive in nature. You may not like the speech, and I've said this even before on the podcast, for me as a lawyer and a politician, uh, the First Amendment doesn't protect speech that we don't care about. The First Amendment protects speech that offends a lot of people or everybody. Of course. Because it keeps the government from regulating our thoughts mm-hmm. and how we express them. And so these games have that value to them where a video skill game uh, has that value a slot machine has none because just like you said, based on chance, there's no skill, there's no storyline, there's no interaction between player and the machine mm-hmm. where it is in skill. So we were able to argue that, uh, take a, a, a unique look at this and say constitutionally what the state did was impermissible. It was impermissible because it infringed upon Hermie and other uh, convenience stores' uh, ability to advertise. Mm-hmm. And LeVar, if you go up and down Route 58... The way he advertises is he puts his goofy-ass picture on every billboard, <laughs> like 40 of them. It scares children from the truck stop. It doesn't bring but children. But they remember it. Here they remember, go. though. Here we go. Yeah, so, they you know. remember Right. Well, yeah. Look, I want to talk about some more fun things, but I want to say just a couple quick things. <laughs> See, he's great at changing the subject uh-huh. when I'm digging. Oh, it's good. That's a good, good he does game. that on the phone, but I don't let him I get away. I love the way. Ba- uh, I'm not you, letting him out. You got out of the way of the bagging, yeah. so it's, it's um, all right. <laughs> I would never say, and I've said this before, obviously the revenue that my companies earn from these games is important to operating our business, especially in a pandemic. But what the reason why I did this, and I think one of the reasons why Bill agreed to take this journey with me, LeVar, is the over 200 other small business owners and operators across the Commonwealth of Virginia that reached out to me by phone, by email, by social media, whatever. The stories of wives and husbands getting their jobs back when we got these games turned back on in December. A lot of people's Christmases were 
positively impacted because we put these people back to work. Kids benefiting, all those things from getting these games turned back on because we felt like they were wrongly turned off and wrongly banned. Mm -hmm. That's been a rewarding thing for me is all the people that we're helping that doesn't don't have that platform or that voice that we've got. And the other thing is, and not really asking Bill to comment on this, but he can if he wants to, the what I just said has been the most heartwarming part. The most heartbreaking part is there are still legislators in this Commonwealth, in this General Assembly, that are still working to try to find a way to ban these games that are in locally owned and operated small businesses across the Commonwealth of Virginia in favor of out-of-state interests from Vegas and Chicago that want to come in and take their place. Yes, I do not understand, and regardless of how we end up with our lawsuit, I will never understand if I were a legislator, and I'm not, Bill, nobody could pay me enough money to kick a Virginia small business owner or take away part of their business, part of their business to give it to somebody else, especially out of state mm -hmm. only because they had more resources and more money to lobby or was, strong arm them into doing what it exactly. is exactly that you want. That's them exactly to do. right. And what they're doing quite frankly is we won this injunction, a very important injunction. I come back to the legislature a lot of legislature, a lot of legislators wanted to know what happened. Explain it to me, but there were those that were still against skill that are saying, "Oh, home cooking." Stanley had home cooking down there in Greensville County. They don't know that all the judges in Greensville recused themselves. This was a retired judge. They said, "Oh, it only applies to Hermie. It doesn't apply to the rest of the the convenience stores," which again was not true. Mm -hmm. And then even a, a, a gentleman he who shall not be named um, said. This is a ridiculous lawsuit only exceeded by the ridiculous lawyers who filed it. Mm. Now, I'm a 27-year practicing trial attorney. I'm damn good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I started out suing. And humble. And yes. humble. Well, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I, There's a bag. There's saying a bag. I'm Shot good fired. is humble. Saying I'm Shot great fired. is the truth. Oh, yeah. So, But in 27 years, I've tried a lot of big cases. You know, I don't mess around. So a lot of people understand that, that I'm going to bring it seriously through that court mm -hmm. system. I'm not going to... Just do it. I don't do it just for the money. I don't do it. Uh, I, I do it because I, I hate to lose more than I love to win. And whether it's a shoplifting case that I won right before I came here on, on the lady that was innocent, mm -hmm. I walked out of that courthouse and I was 20 feet tall. Same thing here when we got the injunction in Greensville. I was so happy for, for Hermie and all the small business owners. And there are people in here who want to almost uh, poo-poo what we did. Oh, yeah, Lucky you. Judge was wrong. They even appealed to the Supreme Court. They lost. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting a little tired of listening to that. What we should do is find a resolution because ultimately, LeVar, this place right over here, we don't, there was only one business we have that makes money that the government runs, and that's the ABC store. That's mm -hmm. liquor. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, we, ga we gather revenues from the efforts of others. Mm -hmm. Well, we're looking at a revenue stream of 130, it was 130 million, probably more a year. How many schools in urban areas can we fix and modernize to make them look like the shiny schools that, in Loudoun? That need it. Absolutely. That How many it. people can we get off welfare, welfare by giving them workforce training with that money? Indeed. How much good can you do by allowing small businesses to participate in a gaming industry that they've legalized mm -hmm. and yet at the same time take those revenues to do good with it? 
That's our job. But they're, they have been so far, so why, some of them, why are unwilling some of to them do so. so <clears throat> intent on kicking the, we've been here my whole life. Mm-hmm. As I've yeah, the accent proves it. Several, yeah, several times. <laughs> Our business and every other business that I'm aware of was built under the free market system, capitalism. Nobody ever gave us a monopoly on a... Why are some of these people that have been voted by citizens of the Commonwealth of Virginia more welcoming to people from out of state? More welcoming to marijuana. More welcoming to outside casino interest. I mean, it's it's the $100 million question right now, and I, I don't think I have an adequate answer because it seems like to me that any resistance or dislike of skill game is an emotional one. Mm. For the for the legislator that says, you know, I'm going to kill that. I don't like that. It's uh, scuzzy. It's slimy. Whatever they've used. It seems to be the lowest form of discourse in politics sometimes. Saying stuff that's just not true, you know, like home cooking. Uh, you know, judge got it wrong. Which is uh, disrespectful. Yeah, and, and and stuff that really I have not seen to this measure or degree before in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hope to never see it again. But that almost makes me want to fight more. And I think every small business, you, LeVar, you, Hermie, that's what, you know, impassions and emboldens us to not give up. Because ultimately, that place over there likes revenue. And it doesn't have many more places it can print money I mean, you're getting into the last bit of things where we can generate revenue. Marijuana legalization, gambling, gaming. I mean, those are different things. Even the casinos, LeVar, aren't coming online for another couple years. Sure. So we're not even getting that revenue right now, where this revenue is right here, right now. I have no idea totally why they're behind it. I'd like, I would love it if someone would just come up and talk to me honestly and openly of why uh, we're having this, that, this discussion even at all. Um, but they know how passionate I am about it. I can't vote on it now. Ethically, I will not vote for or against because I have a client who's involved and would benefit from mm-hmm. it. But tell me why you got a no vote. Mm-hmm. And I haven't gotten an answer uh, yet. And you ultimately, know, all we want at the end is a fair and equitable tax and regulation system for everybody. Everybody can play on this ball field and stay in their lane and do it constructively. I, I think sometimes – so. I have a story to go with this point, okay? I remember one time one of my teammates was yeah, hurry up because we got to get into my Stella high school football career. I love well. it. <laughs> uh, we got to talk about that. So I had a teammate tell me one time, you ever notice geese fly in a V formation when they're flying? And I was like, yeah, I did. I, I noticed that. Like, all right. You notice after a certain point in time, the lead geese moves back, another one takes over. It's like, okay, I get that. He's like, you know the reasoning behind why geese fly in that formation and it's effective for them. I said, oh, it's because of the wind resistance and this, that, and the other. This is just how they fly. <laughs> there is no real – there doesn't have to be a real, a real explanation as to why this formation works for them. It works. And I kind of taken that, that approach – I don't want to look at where we're at right now as it being adversarial. I want to look at it from the standpoint of saying they just need to understand sometimes the formation is the formation because it's the formation. You don't have to be upset about it or be you know adversarial about it because you don't understand it. 
just take a step back and take a little bit of time to understand it. And I think a lot of times the reason why people have hard stances towards things is, one, if I don't understand it, that means I'm being left out or I don't feel adequate in this moment. I don't feel like my value is what it's supposed to be. Vote no. And and sometimes it's just as simple as that. I don't I don't think that a lot of times, of course, we can look at agendas. We can look at what people have to lose or what people have to gain by having control over something. But sometimes it just really comes down to I am here and I have this title so that I can make decisions as it applies to the greater whole. And if I'm not aware of this to the the level of Hermie or to the level of Bill, I feel like somebody didn't educate me on it. They left me out on this. I don't understand it. I don't want to do it. So for me, I felt like me getting involved, I want to bring more of a, a, a understanding, an explanation of sorts where people should challenge themselves to see the good in it. See yourself in it. What if it was your daughter's business? What if it's your son's business? What if it's your business? And taking a, a more positive stance on it and understanding it from not a, you know, I heard emotional. A lot of times when emotions, because a lot of people are very, very um, wired to be passively aggressive. I can be passive until I get an opening to be aggressive. I don't necessarily want to be aggressive because aggressive isn't received the right way. But if I'm passive the, the whole way, then I can try to get to where I want to be. And if I need to be aggressive, then I'll be aggressive. And I think a lot of people approach things that way. If you take away that, that sense of we're going against each other and we find a common ground, which what is that common ground? I don't know. But I think as long as there are conversations that are ensuing as to where that common ground exists, then I think that it will ultimately open people's eyes and their ears to hear these small business owners say what they're saying. We can come to conclusions like, wow, well, I never really thought to look at it that way. It's just simple. And, and maybe I just needed to take a moment in time to realize that it's just that simple. So now we need to figure out instead of one versus the other, how do we how do we make it work? Like if this is your agenda, how do you make your agenda work with this agenda? You don't have to delete one to have the other. And I think a lot of times and I try not to get into politics too deep, but I think a lot of times once you get really ingrained into how political culture works it really becomes a keeping score what side wins what side loses what side loses who had the right agenda who didn't have the right agenda and and i think sometimes you just got to take a step back and say this is simple so let's just try to let's go back to square one let's go to start and let's work from start and i think that that for me has been what's been most important for me in all of this. LeVar Arrington for governor, 2026. Move back to the Commonwealth. Come on. But you're exactly right, and there's a lot of space. This is is. not some tight industry where there's only a a, a few players that can fit in it. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a very vast Vast. state, Mm -hmm. different makeup. We've got rural, we've got urban, we've got suburban. I think there's something for everybody, and I think everybody should be able to participate, whether they want to play them or whether they want to run them and operate them. And I think you can't just pick winners and losers like that because then it's too obvious. Let's just let it go. Let's mm-hmm. let it roll. Uh, these are very good and different things. People like to play them. Um, I am now a hero at my local convenience store when I walk in there 
because the farmers I know and the guys I know that go in there were thrilled when those games were turned back on mm-hmm. and thanked me for it and knew that we had done it, Hermie. And so, you know, because I get a lot of it's press all the little people that, that makes I'm me feel good. I'm famous in Roanoke. You know that, right? Yeah. Uh-oh. Hey, did you shave today? No, sir. <laughs> I mean, look at LeVar. By the way, you know, first, first time with the cameras on us. I mean, I'm in a suit. Pulled the, you know, pulled the tie off like yeah. a little. Yeah, that's all right. He's Let's be honest. Fly. You're in a suit because you have to be. LeVar's got a sport jacket on because he thinks you're important. You look like you're about and to I'm casual ass. because I'm not working. And sometimes the explanations are just as simple as that. I have on go. a jacket because, well... I thought that you guys were both important. Now that I'm realizing <laughs> that it, it isn't really that, I mean, I might take my jacket off. No, 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 no. Come on. Yeah. We're like the bookends of, of sweetness. Yeah. And then we've got uh, the guy out here that's shoveling his driveway. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at exit 12, the Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina, that's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacinet. Hey, look, we want to switch and talk about some football and some sports casting. But before we do, I want to remind everybody that Leaning Right and Turning Left is powered by Pacematic, who reminds you to follow the show on social media at Sadler Senator and to make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode as we discuss hot topics in the Virginia General Assembly and of course, racing, and now Senator Stanley, football. Wow, what a time! Agreed. So, you, were you, I, I'm interested. You played football, high school football. Let me tell you something. Well, I raced cars. <laughs> Let's hear your story. I bet it's more. Did it involve a lawyer? Video games. <laughs> <laughs> Did you need I a played lawyer? a game called Turbo. I don't know if you guys uh, remember it. Yeah, it was I part did. of ColecoVision. Yes. It had the pedal and everything. Yeah. I was really good at it. That was Is a that great the game, game I whipped you on at Dave and Buster's that night? Um, see, you know, I'm telling you right now, when we were doing videotaping for the lawsuit, we decided to go to Dave and Buster's, do an investigation. Show and, and, it was, and it was called Hermie Goes to Dave and Buster's. 
And it was really fun because he was like a little kid and he got in there and he won in the claw I game. An Ernie doll for he, my daughter. He pulled out an Ernie doll and, and you would have thought he won the Daytona 500. He's huh. like, with the Ernie doll. <laughs> so yeah. then we get to, uh, you know, he wants to race this Hot Wheels kind of thing. I said, sure. He was like, come on, come on, kid, get up here. Let me show you something. I beat him. I mm. beat him. Put him in the wall. I let him beat Put okay. him in the fence. Okay, that's fair. Try to give a man some confidence. I understand. You can tell he's lacking it. Uh, you know what? I have I that videotape to prove it, and it's on a loop, which I keep in my room every Love night it. to, to demonstrate. Guess what's the first video he wanted to show the judge in the courtroom? Absolutely. That one. That mm-hmm. one. Yes. Like it had anything to do with our lawsuit. But see, that proves that skill works, you know? So I'm, okay. I was very skillful at that video game. Probably skilled. not really driving, but <laughs> it was good. <laughs> Well, well, let's talk about now. Look, yeah. Lavar, you're from Pittsburgh. I am, which is Steel Town, Title Town. It's that's it's, right. It is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, football is a way of life. It's mm-hmm. Pennsylvania football. It's it is a way of life. I mean, obviously, you're built for it. What made you just go? Hey, I want to play football. How'd you do it? Oh wow, I, I come from a football family, so all my uncles. Mom's side and dad's side went to the same high school, Westinghouse High in Pittsburgh, PA. Uh, a legendary, legendary football program. Pete Imperio was, was the coach back then, and they were winning state titles hand and fist. I grew up a part of the culture. Okay. I think the first time I ever ran a touchdown, my family thought I was lost. The whole – Whole families looking around, looking through the community and everywhere, looking for me. I had wandered off. I had to been about maybe five or six years old, and they go and run to to the family. My mother, my grandmother, uh, was a security one of the security women for the school, uh, and they came and got her and said, "He's down there." And they looked down there. I had a, a football. Football was almost as big as I am, and I was running touchdowns. <laughs> That's like the story of you know me getting acclimated the first success i had playing the game was halftime i'm running touchdowns on the football field not not being kidnapped or wandering off doing something being mischievous i wanted to be on that field and that was kind of the start for me as as i got a little older uh not much older i started playing i started playing football at eight nine years old and i know a lot of people don't believe that you should play early on um it is what it is in terms of where you fall on that thought process. But for me, it was really just being out there and being able to do something that my family loved. And and so it just grew from there. I, I was a multi-sport player. I played basketball. I actually ended up being uh, more recruited and better as a basketball player. And, and, and I ran track. I ran the 100 meters. I ran the 200 meters. And I long jumped. And and so it, I think that as as I moved into older years, um, hitting into high school and different things like that, for me, it, it truly was it just was an honor to be able to compete at the level that I did because it afforded me the opportunity to meet people that I would have never met before. Right. As I was growing up, when I work out, I meet the white white who was uh, one of the famed. Uh, still curtain football members you know it was lc greenwood it was mean joe green it was uh uh lc greenwood i, I said lc greenwood but dwight white was one of the guys right. that was on that that front and he lived in my community and so when i would be running around and jogging you know he would talk to me and i would get opportunities to talk to him 
and learn from him while I was, you know, going through the ranks. I remember one time he brought me into his house and wanted to talk to me about, you know, what I was thinking, what direction I was going in. And I'm like a freshman in high school. And he had one of his Super Bowl rings out on on his bar in his man cave. And I could fit his his Super Bowl ring on my ring finger and my pinky finger. And it was like one of those Mufasa Simba, Simba moments. Like it was like, man, these are some really, really big footprints to, to feel. I want to be as good as he was at one point in time. And I realized that I wasn't even as big as he was. Like two of my fingers was one of his fingers. And it, it just it created a mindset for me to just want to be great. Every time I met somebody who had a Hall of Fame, uh, a Hall of Fame or, or a Super Bowl ring, I put it on. I made them give me their, their ring to put on because I wanted to get used to feeling what that felt like to achieve that, at least the end result of it. Never won a Super Bowl and and won't go into the NFL Hall of Fame. But what I will say is is that it drove me to to want to be the best that I could be. And and that's kind of the story of it is is that when people weren't working, I was working. I was up early in the morning working out. I was up, you know, after after school when people were going just going straight home or going to do other things. I was working, always was working, and it paid off. You know, hard work generally. I always say, no matter what it is, if you are willing to put in the time and the effort and the commitment to the hard work that goes into developing, here we go, the skill of it, then there should be. You should not feel bad about the results that you get when you pull out of it. The games were easy for me. They were fun for me because I went through hell. I visited hell before I ever got to a game. And and that was a mindset. I'm a military kid. Um, I'm a wounded warrior military kid. So my father lost both a leg and an ankle, a foot. So he has no feet. My dad has never run a day in my life with, with me. And and lo and behold, you you have a kid. You raise a, a, a three young men, fine young men, and one of them is big and is f- probably as athletic as you'd ever see. And I always said that's something that probably was given to me as a gift because of what my my father did and his sacrifice uh, for our country. So for me. It's just always been balls to the wall, so to speak, in terms of how I approach things. And and it's always been based upon what's right. I wasn't trying to find anything to hide it or, you know, use enhancing drugs or anything like that. It was always put in the time, put in the work. And what you get out of it is going to be ultimately what you're deserving of. So as you were going through the ranks in your high school days in when did you start getting recruited? Ninth grade, eighth grade. Was it how many schools recruited you, and was it ever anybody else other than Penn State in the in the, oh, in the picture? Absolutely. Yeah. Why not Pitt? Uh, I did like Pitt. I did like Pitt. I thought about staying at home. Johnny Majors was still the coach at Pitt at the right. time. Um, Miami and Florida State were my my first two picks, just because I was a big fan of Ray Lewis and a big fan of Derek Brooks. Uh, and and so I was looking at those schools, but ultimately, as I got a little older, I wanted to stay closer to home because my community, obviously, um, I wanted my community to be, to be a part of my career. I didn't want 
it to be where they could only come to so many games. At least if we had home games, I knew it this many games, my family would be able to, the extended family would be able to come. So I looked at Pitt. Uh, it didn't work out uh, for one reason or another. I went there on an unofficial visit, and they told me uh, that, that Johnny Majors wasn't available that day. But if I came back and they scheduled it for another week, I was like, we're not here for that. We just wanted to just come look at the campus, check it out. I do the same thing at Penn State. Joe Paterno's in D.C. with the president, with Bush, the first one, and they charter him a private jet to get back into State College just to come say hello to me and my family before we that? left. And I committed. I committed that that next maybe that next weekend. I committed to to going to Penn State and never turned back on my commitment to it. But I think it's one of the greatest decisions I ever met because or made because I wanted to represent my state. And that pride, you know, the pride of where I've represented. So I represent the DMV. I represent, you know, Pennsylvania. I, I represent the district. I represent Maryland. I represent Virginia. Those places mean the world to me. And and so that representation, when I had the opportunity to choose Penn State and, and Penn State representing all of Pennsylvania, not just the western side of it from where I was from in Pittsburgh, but the entirety of of the state, it, it just that was a pretty intense intense feeling, knowing that that's what I was representing, and that was what I was embarking upon when I went to school there. And that's just so amazing because you know Penn State. What I remember, everybody remembers the Lavar Leap. Yeah. I mean, you anticipated the count, sailed over your own players, yeah. your fellow teammates, and grabbed a guy in was it, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Illinois. Yeah. And grabs the, the the running back and tackles him, stuffs him. It was like, uh, I mean, it was, it was a fourth and inches. Fourth and inches. They they were they were driving. I'll say it wasn't. It, it was kind of uneventful. We were we were shutting them out. This was their best drive of of the game that took place, and it was fourth and inches. But it it just goes back to the whole conversation of skill, preparation, meeting meeting, obviously opportunity, and. I was one of the type of guys, I paid attention to every little detail, minute detail when I studied film. So I understood mannerisms, I understood tendencies. Big Ten football, if it's a short down, if it's if it's a a short yardage situation, for that game in particular, I'll never forget when they broke cuz some some teams don't huddle, but but Illinois huddled under Ron Turner. They they huddled and whenever they would come out and go on first sound and it was a run, they would run out of the out of the out of the huddle. Oh. And if they ran out of the huddle and got up onto the ball quickly, you knew it was going to be a first sound play. And and so it's kind of that's the way it played out. It was a short yardage down. You knew that they weren't going to try to play action it or or try to, and to do something different. They messed up and ran out the huddle. They ran out the huddle. They they ran out of the huddle. They got up to the line of scrimmage. They jumped down into their their stances, and I was timing it. At that point in time, now I'm timing it, which keep in mind, I had this same pattern of studying and development of studying when I was in high school. So I was doing – I was leaping over people doing the same exact thing in high school. Same thing I did, Bill. Yeah, right. Really? Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, so it's just one of those things, when, you know, when you have the confidence that, that Hermie and myself bring to the table. See, Hermie and myself. Yeah. You're, we. Yeah, us. We. But yeah, you're never going to be afraid of the moment. I mean, if you think about it, 
that's a nationally televised game. Oh yeah. On Hollow uh it's either Thanksgiving or Halloween. I think it's Halloween. It was Halloween. And you're talking about a hundred thousand people in the stadium and millions of people watching it. Yeah. And in the moment you could look like a horse's ass or you could look like the guy who had a, a play named after him when when he made the play. So never never allow for the moment to be too big for what it is that you believe you're capable. There's of a doing. great lesson in that, and quite yeah. frankly, I'm going to tell you in my mind, just as when um, Michael Jordan took off from the foul line, mm-hmm. which is now the iconic uh, photo of him oh, yeah. in for the dunk. That in college football, uh, in, you know, idolatry and all, everything that you remember about college football. What you did in that picture, and I think yeah. it was on Sports Illustrated or something, yeah, wasn't it? It, it was. And, yeah. I mean, the dominant and the look on your face, the intensity. And quite frankly, you can tell that that guy knows he's in trouble. See, I thought that, that you were going to tell iconic. me you ended up jumping from the, the free throw line to go dunk out at some point in time in your life. Uh, well, I did do that. You can't but, even uh, get the net. No, no, I can't did even do, get the no, net. No, no, that's untrue. I did do that. It was my uh, my five-year-old's uh, okay. one of those play school okay. nets. And you better I, – I mean, I was running it down on And there head. is nothing wrong with you doing it on a Nerf hoop. Yep. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you doing that absolutely. because it's, it's all about the understanding of what your your what your capabilities are. And right? and is it is it bad that you say in your face to say a five no, or six year old? No, to a five year old. No, if no. it's your son, I think it's okay, right? I, I think that it, even if it was your son's friend, if it was your nephew, okay. even if it was your niece, you know, because there are valuable lessons in you dunking on them and saying in your face to them as okay. well. They they had to learn from that as well. And I'm moving know? on to the Dikembe Mutombo. Uh, 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 I mean, yeah. there there's I that that, there's value there. Uh, uh, uh. I would love Not to see you guys house. play one on one on a on a Nerf hoop. By you don't want to see that. Dude. I think that that's something that we might have I will to say. Abuse that man. That would be something <laughs> we can do. I think we got to do a challenge of go karting. Yes. Nerf basketball skill games we have to do a whole bunch of things and it's like going to be the wide world of sports I, challenge between challenge hermy yes. i've lost a little bit of my vertical yes. but i can still get it done hey so you went from what four inches to three and a half three <laughs> i'm asking I what, guess, what's this question? conversation about right now guys <laughs> yeah I no kidding to get a little personal <laughs> <laughs> it's, cold I outside. I feel like, it's cold outside i feel like you guys took a hard Left. Oh, well, well, <laughs> all right, there we go. Oh, no, 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 I'm still well, leaning right. While sitting while leaning right. I'm yeah, still no, leaning right. right. Hey, I yeah, want right. to uh, go to the next level, NFL, but I want, I'm want i curious to get your thoughts as a college football fan myself. This transfer portal yes. has really changed. It's changed things. The game is, is – the kids are different. The coaches are different. A lot of the culture coaches is that different. I knew are, are getting out and moving. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious your overall thoughts on the transfer portal and how – it's affected college football. Well, it's turned college football into free agency now. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's going to be very difficult to build sustainable programs with the transfer portal the way that it is now because it, it could go – you could lose a kid to the highest bidder still while they're in college. They could be upset in the moment and decide to, to go look for greener pastures elsewhere mm-hmm. – it's interesting because coaches have always been able to do this. Players have it. Players would, would, would have penalties if they transferred. Mm-hmm. So now with the NIL naming image likeness situation that's out there where players can now be monetized through companies and businesses, 
it really, really sets the stage for colleges really having to reevaluate how they're approaching uh, servicing their their student athletes because it's it's now almost going to become obsolete to call a, a kid a student athlete and that that's it. If you stay inundated with that, you are going to lose kids to the transfer portal because they're going to receive better opportunities elsewhere. Whereas those schools that figure out how to to navigate and deal with the changing the changing climate of where college football or college sports in general as a whole, where it's going, those are going to be the, the institutions that seemingly will benefit from, you know, how they structure what they're doing. Be a part of the solution. If you're not a part of the solution, you're going to be a part of the problem. And if you're a part of the problem, you'll start to see mass exoduses of players going into the portal to go other places. So it's definitely an added challenge to being able to build a program and have extended success. Didn't college athlete, uh, athletics in general, though, kind of start down this path with the one and done, allowing basketball with players basketball, to leave after right. one? I mean, you see so many of it now. Yep. Um, and, and, of course, that, that should be their right. You know, They should have a right to make a living. Um, but it's, it's the student-athlete part, I think, which you hit the nail on the head because what you're trying to do is provide them with an education as well because – of all the people that play athletics in college, a very small percentage, maybe one, one, two percent, make it to the pro levels like you did, right? Yes. And so, what I, you know, what I see is, I see, I see, a natural progression though to maybe some of the more dominant universities with the ability to pay the athlete because they may have, they may be in a larger TV market. But to see what Deion Sanders did with, what, the number one parade All-American to bring them to the historically black college and university mm-hmm. school, that, that Jackson State, which he coaches, that was amazing, too. That, so I have some hope there. There is the idea that someone like Deion Sanders has the connections to the major sponsor dollars like a, a Ford or, uh, you know, a, a, I don't know, name a – uh, uh, Subway. I, there you go. Something <laughs> to that effect, right? So when you had that type of outlet and that that type of you know database, Rolodex, Dion can do that. You got to be careful to to look at it from the standpoint of every school can't execute that. But I will say this: I think one thing that you got to take a look at is the amount of money that's being generated in the pro ranks and at the college ranks. Some of that money is going to need at some point to really go back into the communities. And you're talking about those schools in Loudoun County. Some of this money is going to have to go into educating families, the kids and and the parents. Like for what it's worth, I will I, I would rather want to learn about nfts or naming image and likeness and proper branding and how do i manage my social media and build a brand Mm -hmm. versus european history that's just for me like i i don't really need for me to look at the french and indian war and say okay this this war took place this is a part of history i get that People have to be more prepared to have success in their lives. If if I taught you all of these different things in grammar school and in, in middle school and high school, 
And those things don't translate to what you're going to experience when you go into the workforce of college then why are we so shocked and surprised when these athletes are losing all of their money? And we pay attention to pro basketball and football players generally because those are the ones that are really front and center in the media, but it's in all categories, right? We could probably name off a ton of guys that drove broke in, in, in desolate situations, just like the guys that played football. And it's just because these guys haven't been prepared well enough. And then, we tend to say, okay, well, let's send them to a technical school in high school, right? Let's send them to a poly. They're not very good academically, so let's send them to a trades trades uh, school of some sort. But in reality, education has got to evolve in terms of the preparation of these kids because I look at it, ultimately, if you can convince these kids to learn these types of skills – whether the percentages are against them or not to make it, they're still prepared to be able to do things in the business world. Everything that I've learned being in in the pros and making a ton of money has translated into how I look at what I do in my business life. So to educate them, even if they don't make it, they're still prepared to be able to say, okay, if I go get a job here, I'm not looking at it as I got to be the best player And if I'm the best player, then I get all of this. I can look at it and say, okay, I started off as a special teams player. I started off on JV. But if I start working really hard, if if I carry the helmet to the guy that I'm trying to beat out and I'm watching film with him and I'm in the weight room with him, then now I'm progressing myself. Well, if I'm learning the same way in the classroom about the business of branding, the business of sport and what that looks like. Financial literacy. Financial literacy. Now I'm able to educate my mom and dad on this. Right. And now now with NIL being the way that it is, your mom and dad can find ways to monetize themselves while you're even still in high school. So it's there's a benefit to creating that educational um, proponent or component to what what curriculum represents these days instead of giving people things that they don't they're not necessarily interested in. So that, that's something. I mean, to are you me, telling sports athletes or, or or colleges that this needs to be a component of it? Because it, it sounds does. great to me. It certainly does. I mean, why don't you get out there and do that? I mean, I, uh, I'm buying. It certainly needs to be a part of of what because again, you are your own enterprise. And 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 think about our kids. I don't need for my kids to be as successful as I was playing the game, but I also need them to understand they can be as successful, if not more successful than me, because of the technology that's at their fingertips. They just need to know how to use it Mm -hmm. and be and be responsible and safe about doing it. That's impactful education, if you ask me. And tell them not to let the friend of their aunt handle their money. Because that's the dude that always spends it all and then they're poor. Or they better be getting educated right along with you. And you guys be on the same page. I mean, LeBron James and them showed a model that, that, I mean, all of those are his childhood friends. And you can't be a part-timer on wanting to be great at what you do. If you're looking at LeBron saying, LeBron, you be great, and I'm going to be here to help you you work with your money and spend your money, then that's the wrong approach. If you're saying, I'm going to be as great as LeBron is at handling his money, and that's reciprocated, then there's a difference because then now you can grow and you can build from that and give people the opportunities. I mean, that's why I have the guys here that I have. I believe in giving guys opportunities that show that they're willing to put that time, that effort, and that energy into being great. 
Don't just be good. Be great, even if you're not looked at. And this is something that that goes to the, the thought of the small business, right? I look at small business owners and operators, and I say, if I'm looking at people that are striving to be great, you'll see a product that rivals that of the behemoths and and even though they don't get the the exposure or or maybe the you know the the end result the residuals of it they're still putting in what it takes to be great and something comes from that and there's something to be said about that you know uh, we need some guys you know he's guys. got guys you got guys i mean i, I got a guy i got a guy some cool guys you got to have plural. guys guys plural yeah you got to have a team you got to he's going to teach us how to get some yeah, guys you got to have a team well, right now I'm going to teach He's you how NASCAR. to thank a sponsor. Come on. <laughs> Show me how to thank a sponsor. Lonely want, sport. There's only wanna, one man in the car. <laughs> we want to talk about uh, broadcasting Yes. before we wrap up the show. Well, but I want right, to talk Washington Redskins, too, because okay. he was my hero. All right. Okay. right now I want to remind you, this podcast is powered by Pacematic. Don't forget to yeah. subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast, and be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Then listen each week as we discuss a wide range of topics about small business, law, and government, Plus, our biggest love, auto racing, and the Smart Auto Series, sponsored by Pacematic. Once again, we thank our friends at Pacematic for powering the show and look forward to bringing it to you each week. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about, protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for GoliathLife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their 40s this past year and a half, and I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it. Protect your family. And I suggest you go to GoliathLife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance super easy. Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com. Hey, so... I know Bill's going to ask you about the, the Washington football team, mm-hmm. but were you disappointed that you didn't get drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, or did that ever cross your mind? Ooh, I would have been a Hall of Famer if I went to the Steelers. Now, why you say that? Because the Redskins suck. I, I would have been. <laughs> Mr. Stanley. <laughs> they did. I mean, that's they, why they got they, the second I mean, pick in the draft. they did. They got the second and third <laughs> pick. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> I, I probably would have been a Hall of Famer just because of the mentality of the way I played I would have been utilized correctly in Pittsburgh. Mm. There, it, it's just I only ask that because you, in your talks on this whole show today about your high school and your college, your being at home and your family situation, your dad yeah. wanting them to play, that would have been the perfect. Oh, and well, I say perfect. That would have been 
if, Logistically if, speaking. if Washington would have used me correctly, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been any place I would have been went to would have been the perfect situation had I been used correctly. Uh, I was I was put in position to be a stack linebacker, which is the linebacker that stands on the line of scrimmage and stands over top of the extra offensive lineman, which is back then the tight end. And my my job was to create an edge on 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 the defense side of the ball with the tight end. So I I never did that in my career. Um, I was more of like a hybrid safety. I played behind the middle backer in college. The middle backer was in there taking on all the 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 traffic and the melees, and I would read and run. If I had went to Pittsburgh. I would have probably been aligned on the line of scrimmage and I would have been blitzing every single play. Every once in a while I would have dropped, but for the most part, like what T.J. Watt is doing, what uh, Jason Gildon, Joey Porter, countless, my favorite player of all time, Greg Lloyd, Kevin Green, those guys, they were just blitzing. And and you you understand the details of what you have to do within being a blitz linebacker, but for me – I mean, I, I think I would have had a ton of success if I had played in that 3-4 Pittsburgh defense. And you were, you know, you reminded me of Wilbur Marshall. I and love Wilbur Marshall. If you'd had the ability to be kind of that freelancer like yeah. Wilbur was. Yeah, And that and the funny thing was is that in the end, remember, you went through a bunch of coaches. Uh, in the, the end. It the was whole, Joe Gibbs, at though. Po- at, at one point in time, I had more head coaches than I did years in the league in That's Washington. Amazing. That's amazing. Now, who drafted you? Uh, was North Turner coach? was the head coach when I came in. Dan had just taken over the team as the mm-hmm. owner. They had Champ Bailey and John Jansen from a previous draft that were already there. Daryl Green was there. My rookie year, they brought in Deion Sanders. They brought in Mark Carrier. They brought in, uh, man, we had Albert Connell. We had we had Irving Fryer. We had Michael Westbrook. We had Stephen Davis in the backfield. We had Skip Hicks. We had Brad Johnson as our starting quarterback. All-Stars. They brought in Jeff George as our backup. Right. So we got Jeff George as our backup quarterback. Our our team was loaded. Our team was our team was loaded. You have a DB room with Daryl Green, Deion Sanders, and Champ Bailey. So why all didn't three work? Hall of Famers? Tell me why it didn't work. Culture. You were talking about this earlier, uh, about how there's so much fighting and bickering. How can it work if everybody's too busy doing their own thing, having their own thing? And that culture started from the top. There was a culture of, of arrogance that came. And for me, I was so young, I didn't get it, so I kind of subscribed to it. I mean, I was never an arrogant person, but I was seemingly someone who anticipated and expected us to win and be better because that was how we moved around. We're better. You know, I'm better than you, you know. And but it just never it never was a culture that was conducive to having success. And I said that all along uh after I started understanding from more of an adult standpoint as to why things weren't weren't coming together. Like how do you not win? With that that group, we had Bruce Smith on the defensive yeah. line. We had Big Daddy Wilkinson, Dan Wilkinson on the inside. We had Dana Stubblefield. We we had uh, Marco Coleman. I mean, we had Kennard Lang on mm. that defensive front. We had Indy Kalu. These are all guys that I, went. I don't on. even think I could have started on that defense as good mm-hmm. as I was. I, no. I, I tell you what, it, it the team was loaded. You couldn't carry the jock. They, that right. team that team was loaded. You couldn't. 
I think Herman could have got in there and got out I there. Got in there he would have got, he would have got murdered. But I got four years of eligibility left. <laughs> you, you ever seen the movie Rudy? Yeah, it would have been more like Herman. It wouldn't have been like Rudy. It'd have been more like Lucas. You remember Lucas when when he got pummeled at the end? Yeah, he had the glasses on. Yeah, right. It'd have been more like that. Last two years, you know, and again, I've been a Redskin fan. I still I can't stop calling them the Redskins because I was growing up that way. But and I don't mean to offend people. I know how that might have that effect and that's why we've changed the name which is strange because even though there's a name change what do i reference myself as i i haven't played for the name change team yeah no and so that's it. i i mean whether whether it seemingly i was able to be a professional and play in a professional game as a washington redskin like that's what i was right i mean that's so I can't I can't change my history based off of it, you know. And moving forward, I always represent it and respect it by saying it's the Washington Football Team. Mm-hmm. But I didn't play for the Washington Football right. Team. I played for the Washington Redskins. Now the last two years, uh, as a Redskins fan, they bring back Joe, Coach yep. Joe Gibbs. Yeah. He's, he's in. You're NASCAR. not going to like what I have to say. Oh, about Oh no, Joe no. Though. But but we're so our expectations go up again because you know you're listening. You're listing a roster. Uh, and then you had uh, Williams, right? The Greg Williams. Greg Williams, who's he's the guy. He's the bounty game. Yeah, he's the guy that gate. went down to New Orleans, the defense yeah. coordinator, and put a bounty on people's heads, paid bounties to defensive players if they got sacked or took them out of the game. Mm-hmm. So you got what we think at the time. Remember, he was known to be a defensive coordinator. Genius, oh yeah, right. Yeah. And then you have Joe coming back in because Snyder has has brought him back in, and it still doesn't work. And quite frankly. If I remember correctly, you guys were having some disputes. They weren't using yeah. you right. Well, Things were going south. It, well, what that. went south was my contract, and I didn't have anything to do with that. They Joe Gibbs was a GM too, wasn't he? Well, no, he wasn't. Uh, who was the GM at that? Vinny Serrato was Serato. still the, the GM at the time. Um, but it, it just was things weren't handled properly, and instead of correcting it, they made it an all-out attack on my character and instead of just correcting the contract like like for me it's like okay it's one signing bonus i i redid my contract in the last minute of doing it for the sake of the team because champ wasn't going to restructure champ was leaving and and going to the broncos well he was leaving (laughs) he he was getting the hell out of dodge so to speak um during that time so he didn't want to restructure and they had to restructure one of the bigger contracts. I had a bigger contract because back then rookie contracts were still big contracts. Front so they had to restructure somebody. And for me to I, – I offered it to help the team and then offering to do so, the bonus that wasn't in the contract, which is this is getting into the minutia of it, but the contract was missing a bonus, and that bonus took my earning – my earning average down. If you look at it with a sensible eye, you knew there was something wrong. There's no reason for me to do a deal in my rookie deal to take my earning capacity down literally over 60%. And and so That's that, understandable. I mean, you're having became, great seasons. I didn't even I didn't even want any drama from it, but the NFLPA saw it, so they get involved and now they're arbitrating against the oh, wow. team. I don't want anything to do with it. My agent gets in trouble. It's all kinds of messiness. And and it was like Dan Snyder pinpointed me as the problem. 
and it's like, why would I be the problem? And then they brought in Joe Gibbs, and Joe and and Greg seemingly became like a henchman to phase me out of being what I represented to Washington and, and to the team. So I right? don't I don't really have fond memories of Joe Gibbs. I'm I'm not a Joe Gibbs fan. Um, I'm not I'm not a Greg Williams fan. I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of that group. My my favorite coach. My my top one two coach in 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 the league was number one would easily be Marty Schottenheimer. If they had kept Marty in in place that second year instead of the one and done season because he was changing the culture right. that was there and that was really really beginning to take hold and develop there, I think that the team would have been going into that second season we would have been a hard nosed group that would have achieved that a much higher a much higher success rate than what it had been. But they got rid of him because they were uncomfortable with the way they felt having him around. And then Steve Spurrier, I thought the old ball coach was yeah. – I thought he was an awesome guy. We just didn't have enough professionals. Again, goes back to that culture. We didn't have a culture of that was conducive to success. So a lot of guys weren't very professional in the way that Steve allowed us to operate. You know, you had guys going out to nightclubs and strip clubs the night before games. They're showing up the day of the game smelling like, you know, liquor and stuff like that. Or they're in the in the, in the the parking lot looking a certain type of way, smelling a certain type of way before we're about to play games. And and we 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 messed over on that. You know, Coach Spurrier gave us the opportunity to kind of run the team the way that we wanted to run the team. And we, you know, we didn't we didn't pay dividends on that. Lost discipline and focus, I guess, is or never had it. Hmm. <laughs> well, sorry. So, uh, uh, look, you were one of my favorite players. Well, thank you. Everybody's favorite player. We we hated that we weren't winning because you know that the culture of the fan was that the Redskins should win every year. When uh, Dan Snyder took over, it, it became unstable. Yeah, you were that stability. Then all of a sudden, this happens. And and I'll end this on the on the football note so we can talk about broadcasting. But you leave, yeah. You go to the Giants. I made five games. I had a cup of coffee there, and it didn't even get cold. The cup of coffee was still half full, <laughs> and it was still hot when I left the, the the Giants. So did you go to the Giants because of the Redskins? Absolutely. Just to, just to say I'm gonna. Stick I, it I up got here. one win against Washington before I was done playing ball, and that was probably. And your- I knocked Clint Portis's shoulder to probably his waistline. <laughs> at one point in time during the course of that game. And to get out of the game with a win and to get out of the game thumping Clinton in that game to the point of where he had to run off the field like it looked like he, you know, like I had broke it. Oh, I remember. Uh, that was and, – and listen, I love Clinton and I, I love my teammates, but in the heat of that game, I just wanted to impact the game in a way where it was memorable to me because I knew – I knew this was it. Like, I didn't love the game anymore. Right. I, the, the Washington had stole my love of the game away. So it was more of a business decision when I went to, to New York, and I just wanted to have the opportunity to play against Washington twice a year before I got up out of there. We knew it. Yeah. Knew it. Oh, I, I, did, a full, I did a full download with it. Coach Coughlin and Coach Gilbright and those guys before we played. It was funny because they tried to create this narrative that I was dumb, like I couldn't learn the playbook and different things like that. I was like, all right, you know, I went to Pro Bowls under three – I went to three Pro Bowls under three different coordinators. So it's, it's fine. You want Whatever you want to try to put out there, I'll tell you this much. 
we went over the the offensive playbook and we went over the defensive playbook leading into that week and everything that I had laid out to them game plan wise and said, here's what we need to do. Here are the cadences. Here are the tendencies. Here's what, you know, this is what they like to check into, da, 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 this, that, and other. It all was there. And, and we, we had a pretty good day. We had a pretty good day against Washington. Jeremy, I can die a happy man now. Yeah. I have gotten asked my hero yeah. all about Washington football. Well, the good, that's the not bad, all about. Ugly. That's not all about Wash. That's just Lavar's all about sure. at least that part of it. Because there were a lot of great moments in time early on. When, like I said, I mean, I did retire Troy Aikman from the game. Yep. I, I did have uh, an interception that changed our season around, where we went zero and five, and then after we we beat Carolina, we we ran off five straight. I mean, there were some good moments, some really really good moments. I didn't become the face of the franchise because I was drafted number two overall. I became the face of the franchise because I was a part of our community. People loved you. I I I, I mean, it's funny. The, the 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 things I'm more proud of is before Southeast was was totally like switched up and and rebuilt and all those different things. You could find me sitting on on a bench in Southeast DC before the Nats Park was built and all those things. And people would be driving by like, yo that's LeVar Arrington. People would pull over and come out like, why are you sitting on a bench in the middle of Southeast? And I'd be like, why wouldn't I be? Mm-hmm. You know, D.C.'s right here. Maryland's right here. So I had just moved my parents into Upper Marlboro. So I used to get, uh, and I mean, I had a, a interest in the area but that lived there. And, and so I'd come down, I'd sit just like I did when I was growing up. I would sit and watch the traffic go by. Hmm. And and they were like, man, you're not afraid you're going to get robbed or something like that. I was like, if I got to be afraid I'm gonna get robbed, then that's that you know, that's that's bad. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, they never really people never really looked at it that way. But I have always been into being into my communities. Like I wasn't the guy that, oh, I live here. I play for them, and I say I represent them, but they don't never see me. No. I'd be at Berry Farms, which is like a big-time basketball summer league like with Miles and all those guys. I did everything that was in the community, and that was why I became the face of, of a franchise because I really represented D.C. The first place I went to when I got to D.C. was a go-go joint. So I'm going into a, to a club. I'm taking my shoes off. This time, I was like, I've never in my life had to do something like this in my life. And it was kind of blowing me away. But I was like, if this is D.C. culture, I guess I need to figure it out, whatever. And so, and and I really realized back then I did not need to go to a place where you need to take your shoes off to get it. <laughs> so I never did. I never had to do that ever again. Right. Live and learn. You, li- you do live and you learn. But but hey, D.C. Look, means a, a ton to me. And, and, and it always will. Yeah, we loved it you. Always you know, I, I was there against my will. My dad was military, too. Yeah. But we lived in Northern Virginia. But you had that effect, not just inside the square of D.C. I went to District Columbia School of Law mm-hmm. right around the time. And, and I'm telling you. You had that effect on a lot of people, and it, and it spread. If you love the Redskins, you, yeah. you love LeVar Arrington. I love my time there. And and we hate the fact that we weren't as good to you as you yeah. were to us. Well, you guys were as good to me. It's just one one little one little hiccup in the whole thing, and, and that's a personal thing. That's not, that has nothing to do with the fans or the city or the team. We're getting close to an hour and a half. Uh, we'll wow. wrap it up wow. in a minute. Time flies. We could talk wow. for it. Well, then let me ask you both. I mean, you both – I said this. We can't go uh, along – uh, in this podcast, without hitting all the the bases here, Lavar, you get into sports casting. 
it seems to be a natural fit now. Was that just something you jumped in? I think you were on the fan. You may yes, still have that. I was that, on the fan. Yeah, see, I remember yes. that stuff. That's 105.106.7. Yeah, which used to be WJFK. Right. Uh, you go into you go into announcing, and quite frankly, see, LeVar, you were like a superstar, so this is kind of now you're in people's cars and in their living rooms every day, in the morning, with your radio show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Two a, pros and a cup of Joe is the morning show. There you go. And then up on game is the weekend show. So You, Hermie, though, you are uh, an okay, you made it to the top yeah, field you're NASCAR. You're okay. Well, no, but I mean, okay. That's yeah, right. You're okay, <laughs> That's <Hermie>. accurate. That's <laughs> accurate. <laughs> well, well but, but he became so famous. I did with the old, when it came to my broadcasting career, you would call it making chicken salad out of chicken, chicken shit. Ass, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. I mean, you became me, so much famous. I mean, look, this guy's singing with Donny Osmond. They call it puppy love in the right. pits at Martinsville. That's There's no greater moment. moment. There's no greater let me, moment. Let me, cool. I, want, I want to get LeVar's story, but I'll tell you quickly. Obviously, you, you may have noticed I have somewhat of an accent. Uh, no, somewhat. Okay. Yeah. I never in my wildest New Jersey. dreams <laughs> thought about having any kind of broadcasting career at all. But there's a guy that still works for Fox Sports at this day. He's a director, done many Super Bowls, named Artie Kempner. Mm-hmm. Artie has a son that has autism. My, ben, my middle daughter, Haley, that you'll meet uh, later, uh, has autism. So... Uh, Artie and I formed a special bond. I was just racing. Fox was covering the races. Artie and I connected through our kids, through, and I helped him do a lot of events for autism awareness and things of that nature. I'm at Michigan one weekend racing. I'm racing the ARCA race and the cup race at Michigan. Same weekend, there's a Bush Grand National race going on in Kentucky. So I get done. I, we do ha- happy hour practice on Friday afternoon. I get out of the car. Artie, Artie comes down and starts talking to me. He says, what are you doing tomorrow night? I said, what do you mean? I'm running the ARCA race tomorrow night, and then I'm running the cup race Sunday. He said, I mean, tomorrow. He said, what are you doing tomorrow night? I said, nothing. He says, I need you to fly with my broadcast team over to Kentucky and do play-by-play and, and to add some color in the hmm. booth commentary for the Bush Grand National Race tomorrow night at Kentucky on FX. I said, Artie, I've never done TV before. He said, that's why I want you to go. I want you to fly with maybe Daryl Waltrip, Phil Parsons, whoever it was. We got a plane leaving here at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. I want you to fly and go into the booth and and do the broadcasting for the race. I said, he said, we'll get a sport cut for you. You know, you go to these games. (laughs) They got a TV truck full of you know, Jacob Ullman and all these people, Eric Shanks, whatever. Yep. So so I get on this plane, never have done TV in my life. They fly me to the to FX, to the Xfinity race. I go up in the booth like I know when the hell I'm doing, put my little suit on, and <laughs> we did the race. Pseudo. Rest of the history. And Penny's boys. after that, not only we had, you know, the Fox, but we had a channel called Speed Channel. Speed Channel. That was 24-7 motorsports. Mm-hmm. I went from doing one Bush Grand National Race to then I'm doing pre-race show on Speed Channel on the cup races and I'm doing truck races on Fox and FX and Speed and FS1 eventually and I that one night started a 16-year career in television and you know what they never tried to reform me you might say right because the first guy I worked with uh, Chris Long muscles they called him at fox he's like 
dude, you're a good guy. We got to send you to speech therapy. I'm like, <laughs> listen, I'm not interested in speech therapy. If if I if I can't do what y'all want me to do, I just don't need to do it. But they never did any of that, and I did shows on Fox, on Speed, on FS1, all based on somebody couldn't make it to that race in Kentucky that night. They put me on the plane and wow. ultimately had me do it for 16 years. But I like find the, your dialect to be refreshing and, <laughs> Thank you. So, and, and super, super <laughs> Chris inviting Long, and entertaining. Eric Shanks. Yeah, all y'all kiss Hermes ass. No, don't. Well, do they that. actually they, they saw the talent, and that's yeah. why they put you put you out there. Well, he was I mean, a natural too, and he made he yeah. made the sport. He brought it to the level of of everybody, and he asked the question everybody wanted wanted to hear the answer of. You know, it wasn't with Hermie, and what I respected so much, and I hate to say nice things about you, Herm, but I'm going to do it, <laughs> was that you really were just like a fan in the pits. I always, whether I was doing pit reporting. Or sitting on a desk doing a pre-race show or a post-race show, or in the booth calling a race. My attitude was always, I'm going to pretend like I'm sitting at home in my living room. That's the best way talking of doing about it. it with my buddies. It's the best or way friends, to do it. And, and that's the that's because the, that's what the, that's who's watching you. That's right. That's who's watching. So that and I tell you, I mentioned my daughter Haley. I got in trouble, by the way, on the first couple of podcasts for not talking about my kids. Oh. So I'll mention real quick that my older daughter, Haley, uh, Cora, graduated from UNC Chapel Hill. She was a cheerleader. Nice. She got to cheer in two national championship basketball games. She's wow. a cheerleading coach at her high school, but now finally she's working for me and my company. My youngest daughter, Naomi, is a freshman softball player at Randolph-Macon. Proud of her. And I've already mentioned my middle daughter, Haley, who is now 23 years old. She was diagnosed with autism at two and a half. Beautiful. And Beautiful so, young lady. That became our mine and my brother's um, mission on our uh, foundation over the years was creating awareness, um, and and we've over the years been able to raise and donate almost two million dollars to different families across South South Virginia awesome. to give them some services and things that they need. Now I can't so, make fun of him for the next half hour, dude. You can't. I mean, like he's an no, angel. Now, now no laugh good. at me. Yeah, I'm not letting. Nope. That'd be no Senator. good. So, so Lavar, how did you do it? How did you get in? I mean, now you're a natural, of course, and you were always a great interview when when you were playing. I mean, you were never a dull moment there. How did you get into it? Because it just seems so natural for you. I, I listen to the radio show here. Uh, it's yeah. wonderful. It's great, especially the weekend thing you do. Yeah. That seems to be a little more just wide open. Where you guys, it seems like two guys, open three guys form. sitting around yeah. a, a couch talking. Hermie, Hermie knocked it out of out of the park on it. It's it's just being you. It's it's understanding the structure of what media has to offer and which forum that you're in. When I'm on television as an analyst, it's a little bit more, you know, uniform in what it is that you're doing. Less time to say a whole lot. You have to say a whole lot in in a little bit of time. And then as it applies to radio and, and, and open form media, I even wrote. I wrote for the Washington Post. And, and so I wanted to challenge myself because I always was intrigued by the way media could make or break a career. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, so I was raised to be a pretty honest dude. I'm, I'm a pretty straight shooter. I shoot right from the hip. And – I'm I'm dangerously honest, so it could be offensive, but if you ask me, I'm gonna tell you. I'm not I'm not going to put my ideas and and my thoughts on you, but if you ask me, then you're gonna get what 
you're asking for and I'm going to answer it. And, you know, there just were people that always said, you got to make sure you get into media. You need to learn how to do media because you have a lot to say. And one of the biggest things in media is people are afraid to say what their true feelings and their opinions are. And if you're one of those guys that actually has a real opinion and you can you can actually communicate it in a way that it's it's authentically you, mm-hmm. then you would be really good at doing media. So for me, I jumped into media. Um, I started I actually started doing my own shows segments while I was still playing. And that was my introduction into it. I was working for Comcast Sports, and I would do segments and segments and segments and do a Monday um, radio hit where I would just do a segment or two. But that was my getting my feet wet and acclimated to it. And although it got me in trouble, I got in trouble a lot for, for being in media because, again, I was unapologetically honest about what I thought and what I felt, but once I became a, a bona fide media personality, that became a true asset. So being able to control my truth and and being being true to my my opinions, like I'll give you a great example. Bruce Arian slaps the dude upside the head last week in the game, right? And everybody's up in arms about it. Oh, my gosh, he slapped him. He, you can't treat him like a little boy. I said it's absurd that he got found $50,000. That's my opinion. Why is that my opinion? Because in the game of football, if you understand the culture, if you understand how people interact, the relationship dynamics, the bonds that are built, and what takes place, first of all, if you look at it, his hand glances his helmet. It doesn't even really it doesn't even really hit his helmet that hard. But then secondly, he's trying to preserve him. The intent of him getting to him is not only to just preserve him, but it was to preserve their team because in that moment, there could have been something that happened that costed him. It could have been something in that moment that costed the team. And and that was him, to me, intent-wise, was, was trying to defuse it by getting him. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't like that I said that. Now, to some in media, they will – they will go back on it. Oh, I'm sorry I said it. I didn't mean it that way. What I meant to say was, not me. Good. I said it. I meant it. So those keyboard cowboys can't make you change your mind or apologize, hey, right? You, if you you name it, it could be anything that, like, I came out and I, I you know, I, it's a much deeper rabbit hole as it applies to b- being true to your opinions, no matter what people think or what they say. But I've never been one to side with the mob unless I feel like what what if it makes sense then I'll side with it but I'm not going to be pressured into they're saying that this is what it's supposed to be this is how it's supposed to be so that's what I'm going to say in, and you in order give, to stay and you out give of the such way. insight not the X's and O's but the mindset yeah. the ethic every and, and everything there I mean that's that's really the part of football that's the real human element of football you bring that to the table it's what makes you really you can do x's a lot of people can do x's and o's but if you can get into talking about the mindset of it or what what goes into the game planning of it you know just talking about even you know these games this weekend and how they played out with patrick mahomes versus josh allen and 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 how that looked and the mindset of each team or 
the the way that that Cal Shanahan is is guiding the 49ers. The 49ers might mess around and win it all this year yeah. just because Cal Shanahan is so innovative and creative in how his mindset and his approach to game plans are. Yeah, he's using his best player all over the field in mm-hmm. Debo Samuels, his best lineman. He's using him all over the field and putting him in motion and having him do lead blocks and using him like a tight end. It's it's just the idea of being able to explain sports in a way where, like you said, I'm sitting on my couch, we're sitting at the bar, whatever it may be, it is a real conversation. It's not, hey, welcome to the show. This is LeVar Arrington here. Okay, let's break it down this. Okay, we saw that they had a 22 personnel, two backs, two tight ends. They came up, they lined up, and what they were doing is they're going to seal that edge off, and then right. what they're going to do, they're going to stretch him out, and then he's going to get inside of that tackle. And you can see right there, that's going to be he's a 3 imitating somebody. I can't yeah, figure it out. It doesn't even matter who it would be, Like right? everybody. Everybody <laughs> sounds like yeah. that. Everybody. Hey, like the one, everybody the one, sounds the one like thing that. That when I started doing TV, one of the things that's similar is I was still racing when I started doing TV. Right. So the biggest concern I had is calling at my buddies. <laughs> I mean, really, it's it's a big thing. But I'm because some of what, them will get upset with you. Not even six months into my TV career, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr., who's a close friend of mine, had some concussion issues. Yeah. Had multiple concussions. Affected his racing. And he was not performing well. He wasn't doing well. And I was one of the ones on the te- on the That had the insight of it. the closest to him. Yeah. So I went and saw him. I said. Is it okay if I say They it? want me to really be honest about your own track performance. Because Dale Jr. was kind of like when we – because whenever he was there, we wanted everybody to interview Dale Jr. Mm-hmm. Interview Dale Jr. Dale Jr. was like kind of shying away. Go interview somebody that's running up front. I, I, I'm not – the guy, and he would kind of shy away from the from the interviews. But I went and saw him one day on his bus at Martinsville, and uh, I said, "Dude," he said, "Let me tell you something." And Dale Jr., if you don't know him, is a tremendous historian of the sport. Yes, he said, "You're not going to make it on TV if you don't tell the truth." Mm. And by the way, if people that you're talking about in the media, like me and other drivers, can't handle the truth about what you're saying. If they come to you mad because you're telling something truth, it's your opinion, if they can't respect that and if they're not your friend anymore, they're not your friend anyway. So Indeed. What an amazing be. admission. Yeah, so that's, then that's I said, look, awesome. if Dale Jr. got it, I really don't care about everybody else. Yeah. So it made it much more, much easier for me. To just tell the truth. I've Wait. had guys want to fight me. I'm sure. <laughs> like, ah, uh, he can't tackle. Think you're trying well. to take food off the table. He doesn't know how to tackle. He needs he needs to go to tackling school. If guy sees me on the sideline, keep my effing name out your mouth. F U da da da. This and that. And hey, other. that happens so, here in politics. Yeah, you know. And, and, and it, <laughs> I heard you got called under the rug you know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah it's, yeah. it's kind of like, well, I have more Pro Bowls than you. I'm a higher draft pick than you. I'm retired, and my career is better than yours at the way it's going right now. And quite frankly, even if it wasn't, my understanding of this game is you're doing yourself a disservice by tackling the way you're tackling. So if you want to fight me over that, then that's you're in a safe place because there's security between us while you're saying it. But you can always find me 
if you want to. You don't have to always talk to me while security here. You can always find me because I'm still a tooth chipper. I might be retired, <laughs> but I still got something for you. I got something left a for you. Chipper. A tooth, oh, a tooth chipper. chipper. How about that? So, so that's, but, but the idea of it is if you're going to be that guy. I got to say I'm a runner. Yeah, well, <laughs> only if it's – well, no, I'm going to talk my way out of it. Kind I'm, of not even going, I'm not even going to talk. Uh, sometimes you got to try to talk your way out yeah, of it. I'm a check writer. I mean, hey, with, with 100 bucks help? I found yeah, myself and yeah. talk yourself out of it situations where it's like, I, no. Look, my deductible, my medical that. deductible is like 500 If right. I just give that to you so you won't break my face and I have to go to the hospital, can we just do it that way? That was my, my I, deal. I just have Look. this horrible problem of not – Wanting to back down when somebody challenges you. I understand that, that but that's part of what made you what yeah. you were right. as a player. Look, we got to, yeah. unfortunately, darn, it's wrap over. This, up, man. this but is great. Right. Navar, I just want to personally thank you. I know you're here on behalf of Pacematic and all yeah. that, but just sitting in this interview, watching the passion that you have and where you came from and what you, you know, you mean what you say, we can tell that. And so we appreciate you being right. here on behalf of Bill and I and everybody on this podcast. Thank you for yep. uh, lending your support. Um, and your um, your uh, support to this cause is and what an honor! Amazing. What an honor yeah, to speak yeah. with you. Really, it's all is. mine. It's all mine. And, and again, like I said, I I love what Pacematic is doing. I, we're impacting communities. I mean, we've we've now impacted two or three football communities uh, as we've been on this journey. Have you noticed uh, that everybody that works at Pace likes each other and they get along? Ever, There's a family It's atmosphere. pretty cool, right? Even uh, I had the opportunity to – Right, nice. Mike, Mike, Mike. <laughs> it, it's been great working with them and to have this all culminate to this moment where we're together and we're, we're focused in on one common goal. Uh, I just I'm, – I'm happy to be a part of the good fight and, and what's taking place. So as, this has been good. As we close it out, we'll remind everybody that Pacematic is an entertainment company which develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue for family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, convenience stores, and truck stops. Bill, sign us off. I'm Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. I'm wow. Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. We'll see you next time right here on the podcast. Bye, guys. <laughs>